Hey there, folks, and welcome to Bread and Poetry, a podcast about poetry and bread for everyone. I'm your host, Dinelli Antigua, Poet Laureate of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Poet Laureate of Your Hearts. On this podcast, we talk to people in our community, the poets and the non-poets alike, about poetry and what it means to them. In the words of Roque Dalton, I believe the world is beautiful and that poetry, like bread, is for everyone. So today's episode is going to be a little different. It's been maybe almost about a year since I started this podcast, so I thought it was about time to do a special reverse interview where I answer all the questions I've been asking my guests. Today I have my dear friend, Jonathan Riley, who you may remember from episode one. He's going to take over and host this episode. So Jonathan, I pass this metaphorical torch of bread to you. What an honor it is (laughs) to hold that bread torch. (laughs) Howdy. Hey. I'd like to read our guest's bio. Dianelli Antigua is a Dominican-American poet and educator. Born and raised in Massachusetts, her debut collection, Ugly Music, was the winner of the Pamit River Prize and a 2020 Whiting Award. Her second poetry collection, Good Monster, is forthcoming with Copper Canyon Press in 2024. She received her BA in English from the University of Massachusetts Lowell, where she won the Jack Kerouac Creative Writing Scholarship and received her MFA at NYU, where she was awarded a Global Research Initiative Fellowship to Florence, Italy. She is the recipient of additional fellowships from Cantal Mundo, Community of Writers, Fine Arts Work Center Summer Program, and was a finalist for the 2021 Ruth Lilly and Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Poetry Fellowship. Her work has been nominated for the Pushcart Prize and chosen for the Best of the Net Anthology. Her poems can be found in Poem A Day, Poetry Magazine, The American Poetry Review, Washington Square Review, The Adroit Journal, and elsewhere. She hosts the podcast, Bread and Poetry, and is currently the Poet Laureate of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, the youngest and first person of color to receive that title. Welcome, Dianelli. Hello, hello. How does it feel? (laughs) How does it feel? A little role reversal. How does it feel right now? It feels so strange. Um, I'm going to try my best to, uh, first of all, not want to take over because I am a Virgo. That's that's that. Um, So that's one thing. And then um, as we were warming up, we were talking about how I you know, have a hard time, even in my podcast episodes when I'm interviewing other people, if we start talking about me, I like to quickly change the subject back to the uh, to the guest, which is what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But now I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I am the guest, I guess. So it's it's all about me. I ooh, so that's a little uh, makes me feel a little uncomfortable, but I'll I'll do it. I'll get through it. It is all about you, but it is also about poetry in the way that you interact with poetry and what poetry means to you. And we're going to go through all of that. So as much as it is about you, eventually we're going to work to the center of poetry itself, which is what you do with all of your guests. It's about them, but eventually we enter this realm that everyone can relate to and how they interact. 
was poetry, and then bread, which we'll get to that question too at some point. I do love me some bread. <laughs> so in that vein, let's break bread. Tell me about your connections to Portsmouth, New Hampshire and the surrounding areas. Okay. Well, obviously, uh, as I say in the intro, I am poet laureate of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And it's funny kind of how I ended up here. I ended up here um, in 2020 uh, during the pandemic, which is the worst year and the worst time to transition into anything new. Mm. But that's when I, you know, got to Portsmouth. I had won the Whiting Award mm -hmm. and I really wanted to create a space, a home for myself, uh, because for the past, you know, five years prior to that, I'd been in lots of different places. You know, I'd been mm -hmm. in Massachusetts where I grew up, and then I was in New York, and then I was in Italy, then I was in Amesbury, and then West Newbury, and that was all like, you know, moving, you know, at least almost every year. And I really wanted to set down roots, and I wanted to set down my own roots. And winning the Whiting Award was a great opportunity for me to do that, and I had finally had the funds to to do that for myself. So I, you know, looked on Facebook Marketplace, found an apartment uh, that was kind of in the area in a town that I loved, which is mm. Portsmouth, and that's that's why I'm here. Um, and I've, you know, quickly made this apartment my own. It's also where where I record this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's a so, beautiful apartment, by the way. It's really amazing. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's also like scarily clean, um, and it's because it's my own apartment. I'm even that more um, obsessive about keeping it clean, mm. uh, which is maybe not the best thing for my mental health. <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah, that that's neither here nor there, but. Back to Portsmouth. So, you know, being Poet Laureate, I've at this point, I've been Poet Laureate for a year and I've done a lot of work in the community. Yeah. I've worked with Haven, which if you're not aware, Haven is an organization that helps support victims of domestic violence and sexual abuse, provides them with resources and uh, shelter. And I also work with NH Panther or New Hampshire Panther, mm -hmm. and we did an episode with them, a poetry and conversation episode at uh, Plymouth State University. And their uh, mission is to help end racism, uh, mm. particularly in the Plymouth area, but you know, New Hampshire at large. And you know that's through youth programming, the Black Excellence Fund, uh, and uh, now poetry programming, which we're going to start doing more of. Oh, so wow. Yeah, I work really closely with those two organizations and I do various events throughout the community and the seacoast. I just, you know, did a keynote at a women's conference mm -hmm. in in Salisbury, Massachusetts, and uh yeah, yesterday I did a reading at the Word Barn, which is in Exeter, New Hampshire. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of just all over the place uh, doing the poetry thing. <laughs> yeah. And you really are a prominent figure in this community and in the surrounding area. And, uh, part of that is your, uh, how involved you are. You know, you've taken this role of poet laureate, um, and elevated it. And that's really been amazing to see just in the last year, you know, as your friend and watching you continually engaging the community and you're moving around. It's not just Portsmouth. All these things that you're doing with the title of Poet Laureate of Portsmouth, 
these feels like these feel like things that you've been doing already. Your involvement in poetry, your involvement in the community, and your involvement with causes close to your heart. How, or even if, that has the title of poet laureate changed the amount of involvement that you've had, or is this just what Dianelli does? <laughs> Um, well, this is definitely what Dianelli has wanted to do. That's uh, excellent. Sure. That's really cool. <laughs> um, it feels weird to talk about myself in third person. But, <laughs> uh, but I, these causes have definitely have been things that are really important to me. You know, as, as a survivor of domestic violence and mm -hmm. sexual abuse, I really want to raise awareness, uh, help raise funds to, to support, the, you know, that, that cause and to support those victims. And it's really important for me to share my story and poetry is the way in which I do that. Mm. You know, my poetry is very sad, but it's one of survival and, and triumph. Mm. And the reason I'm here or like how I got here was through those things. Mm -hmm. And they've made me who I am today. And they, they've made it so that this is a cause that I'm really passionate about and that I want to, you know, make sure... I do everything that I possibly can in this lifetime to help people who may have experienced things like I did. And, you know, that's very unfortunate, but those things will continue. And I would like to say that I hope that they will end, mm -hmm. but, you know, we're going to need to protect those that need to be protected and supported. I really want to keep doing that work regardless of whether I'm Poet Laureate or not. And I feel like the platform of Poet Laureate has given me the community support mm. and, you know, a bit of funding to do the work as well. Mm -hmm. And it's given me the time to really focus in on these, you know, these topics and these causes in a way that I haven't been able to do before mm. because, you know, I had, I had other things that I needed to do. I, you know, I was working serving jobs before the pandemic or substitute teaching and all of those things didn't really allow me the time to really focus on these causes. They were things that, that were on the back burner and now supporting these causes is what is at the forefront. Yeah, that's really wonderful. And it really speaks to the power and the importance of having these uh, scholarships and fellowships and the Poet Laureate program, being able to like have the funds to make the time for, the, for these mm -hmm. causes is really amazing. It's been really amazing to watch you take part in that and part of that is your uh, uh, your belief that poetry is for everyone and like poetry so is bread yes indeed so this is the most important question of the show and we're all dying to know what's your favorite kind of bread i've been asked this question by so many people uh, everywhere I go, like, well, what's, what's your favorite kind of bread? And They're I'm like, like, hold on a second. <laughs> I'm like, I just have to wait to find out. <laughs> um, Big reveal. I know. Uh, I think in some previous instances, I've told people that it's sourdough, which yeah. I really, really love sourdough bread. Uh, and I'll be like the other guests. Oh, but, you know, people have already said that before, so I'm going to choose a different bread. <laughs> But I mean, we can all have the same favorite bread. That's fine. Jake Baver, who was one of our guests, mm -hmm. chose sourdough bread. And I wanted to highlight a different type of bread that's also one of my favorite breads, mm -hmm. which is fagas bread. And it's kind of the 
like the French version of focaccia. And it's made with like herbs and olive oil. And a lot of the times it's shaped into things. And one of the the shapes is often like a leaf shape. And Mm. I was introduced to this bread just only like a few years back. I love it. There's a rosemary fagasse that uh, the the beach pea in Kittery, Maine sells. It's delicious to have with soup. And Mm. for those who know me, they know me (laughs) as the soup queen or the soup bitch, whatever. I'm always making soup. It doesn't matter what season it is. And this fagasse is just a great uh, side for any any soup that you can think of. Uh, Fagasse goes really, really well with it. So that's I'd say that's my favorite mm. um, in the in the recent years. That Fagasse. sounds delicious. Was that where did you first interact with Fagasse? Actually, it's it's part of a love story. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up, folks. <laughs> a partner of mine, a past partner of mine brought Fagas over uh, to dinner when I made a soup. I had made lentil soup. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first times that it, he had ever come over to um, have soup. There were more times that he came over for soup because, of course, that's, again, most of what I make. And he, like a good, uh, you know, guest, dinner guest, he brought something. And mm. he brought me soup, uh, not soup. <laughs> he didn't bring me soup. He brought bread. Um, I was making the soup. (laughs) And I thought that it was such like a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. It was so lovely to be be thought of. And bread is the greatest gift. Mm. And I felt very lucky to have been given that that gift. Life happens and things happen and I'm no longer with that person. And that's okay. But like the gospels of like a very special place in my my bread heart. Uh, so yeah, that's how I was introduced to Fagas. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that Fagas has remained. Yes. The person hasn't, but the bread has. Bread bread is eternal. (laughs) It really, really is. Bread is eternal. Tell us a beautiful, powerful, or challenging memory that includes bread. And it doesn't have to be Fagas, although I feel like we sort of skated on a memory there for a moment. Share with us. So I actually was brainstorming with my family about what bread I should talk about. And it was my sister's birthday a few weekends back. And Mm -hmm. my mom had invited us all over for dinner. And she had made a gluten-free cake for my sister. And she made, you know, fajita dinner for us, which is like my family's Mm. uh, kind of go-to dinner when we get together we're not Mexican, but we eat a lot of fajitas, mm-hmm. just putting that out there. <laughs> um, but I was talking to them about it, and there is a family trip that, you know, my dad's side of the family is going to be going on coming up. And my parents are divorced, and mm-hmm. my parents were divorced when I was about two years old. So I don't know my dad's side of the family very well. But my grandfather on my dad's side, so my, you know, my dad's, uh, father is turning a hundred this year. Oh my goodness! In June, and that side of the family is planning a trip to the Dominican Republic. Oh, and cool! Sadly, because of finances, I'm not right. going to be able to join. Mm. But it was just a reminder of how I've never been to the Dominican Republic. Mm. I've never been there before, and I'm so tied to this island and this place. But it's a place that 
I've never, you know, been able to see with my own eyes. And mm. I was thinking about memories when, you know, the Dominican Republic was brought like into the home or, you know, when relatives would go to the to the DR and they would bring back like a treasure trove of treats, as I like to call Ooh, it. They would yeah. just like fill suitcases of things from the DR and they would give them as gifts. And, you know, some of those things were like caramelos, which are, you know, candies, um, dulce de coco, mm. dulce de leche. And there was always this uh, bread called cassave, which is in a way it's not really bread, but it's made out of uh, cassava flour, which comes mm. from the yucca plant. And it's very flat, like a flat bread, kind of almost like like matzah. It's, mm. it's flat. It's unleavened. So no yeast at all. And to be honest, it doesn't taste that great. Um, <laughs> but if you slap some peanut butter on it, it's delicious. And my, uh, you know, whatever relative that you know, had came, come back with these treasure trove of treats would bring back, you know, cheese from the Dominican Republic. And there was always this cheese that came in this red wax. And I remember I hated that cheese. I hated it. It was really stinky. <laughs> um, and it's it's called queso heo, but it's actually a cheese that comes from the Netherlands called uh, Edam, which I don't want to mispronounce that. But I also thought that was strange that this particular style of cheese comes from the Netherlands, but it was a cheese that's, you know, sold widely yeah. on, on the island. And it's so much so that it's, you know, something that, family members bring back. Yeah. And, you know, I just am re recalling all of the times that, you know, the relatives would come back, whether it was my grandmother or my grandfather on my, both on my mother's side, or if it was an aunt or an uncle. And that was really always a special moment mm. for the family, seeing everything laid out on the table and everyone just, you know, enjoying the tastes and textures and, you know, even the ones that we didn't love <laughs> so much <laughs> of, of the island. I'm sad that I won't be able to to go to the Dominican Republic and mm -hmm. I won't be able to enjoy those things while actually being on the island, you know, being there at the same time. I'm hoping that maybe the treasure trove will come back. Yeah. And, you know, maybe my father will bring back some some treats of sorts and share them and but it was it was always really a special moment, and I'm thinking about my maternal grandfather. Mm -hmm. He would live half of the year in the DR. He would mm. uh, spend the spring and summer here with us in the states, and would live in our house. And he would spend the fall and the winter in the Dominican Republic, much like retired folks. They go to Florida. They're yeah. snowbirds. Uh, uh, but this was to a different, you know, warm place. <laughs> And when he passed away, when I was 11 years old, he was, that was, you know, the time period when he would be gone, you know, and he was in the Dominican Republic when he passed away. And I remember it took me a while to come to terms with the fact that he had passed away because to me, it just felt like he just hadn't come back home yet. You know, he hadn't come back home to us and to my mom's house. So I just, for a while, imagined him there. 
in the Dominican Republic just for a longer stay this time. And it wasn't until almost, I don't know, I want to say eight years later, where I actually cried about his death. I'm a very emotional person. And to me, that was really strange that it took that long for me to grieve him. And it was because I had written a poem mm, okay. about him. And that was the way in which I was able to access those emotions and that, you know, movement of, you know, island to the U.S. and back again. And, you know, I, I don't know if I believe in an afterlife. I'm not sure. But I think we're always kind of in transition. We're always moving and evolving. And I think a part of me still wants to think that he's in the DR and he's still alive mm. and that he's sitting under a mango tree, you know, his feet propped up. And that's actually my mother's last, you know, memory of him was he was sitting under a mango tree in his yard with his feet propped up. And yeah, I'd like to think of him that way. And I'd like to think that he'll be coming back soon and he'll bring back cassave and we can all sit down at the table yeah. and, and eat it together. That's beautiful. Do you think that that would, when you do go to the DR, do you think that vision will be uh, some lurking somewhere in the back of uh, your mind as you, you know, really visit this piece of you know, yourself for the first time? I think so. I, it's, it's hard. I think it would be hard not to. Yeah. Totally. And, uh, I'm thinking about the, the, the cotton shirts that most of the men wear, um, on the Island. And I forget there's a, a particular style of shirt and it has like really beautiful, like embroidery on it. And my grandfather would wear those shirts all the time and like beautiful, like light blue and light yellows. And, mm. I feel like anytime I'm going to see, you know, someone wearing a shirt like that, I'm going to think of him mm. and, um, you know, think of like, I don't know, maybe if that other, that person that's walking in front of me turns around, it might be him. So I know that he'll be everywhere. Mm. Um, I know that my, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother will also be everywhere for me too. She lived with us as well. And they kind of took turns living with us and, but she she stayed in the States and every once in a while she would go back to the DR. But I feel such a strong connection to the island and to my maternal grandparents. My first book is dedicated to my grandmother. I'm just going to be really happy to be in the place where they're from mm. and where I'm from. And I know that there is going to be a level of disconnect because I am from that island, but also not from that island. I wasn't mm. raised there. I wasn't born there. And Spanish wasn't even my first language. English was. Mm. I know there have been times in my life, and even now too, that I don't feel Dominican enough to even go back. Well, uh, I feel very strange sometimes being invited into spaces that are for, you know, Latinx poets or it's a Latinx, you know, themed event. Because mm -hmm. a part of me doesn't feel Dominican enough, you know, Latinx enough, because I've been so removed from the place where my family is from and even the language to some extent. 
and like I've lived abroad, but in Spain, like I've lived on mm -hmm. the colonizers, mm -hmm. you know, in the colonizers country, but mm -hmm. not, not on the island. It's going to be a very celebratory, you know, occasion when it happens. Mm -hmm. But also I know that it's going to be sad. There's going to be a grieving that's also a part of that too. That sounds like a really, it sounds like this place of, of like in between of belonging and not. And it's a space that I, I don't know all that well. Hmm. And it's really um, incredible to hear about that in my first reaction is that, is there a part of you that wants to dive more into that culture at all? And, you know, feel like try to make that connection or does that feel less, you know, maybe authentic to who you are now and like how you, you, you know, the human you've become right mm. now. Yeah. I, I definitely want to dive more into that culture in, in college. I decided to minor in Spanish specifically because I had lost that language and there were many years where I was battling with internalized racism and didn't speak Spanish. Mm. So I think over the years I've been healing from that internalized racism and being able to recover parts of myself and my culture. And I often am listening to, you know, merengue, salsa, bachata in my house and I work at a ballroom dance studio mm -hmm. and I I love being able to hear the Latin music playing and everyone in the ballroom dance studio knows that bachata is like my favorite dance, mm. which for those who don't know, bachata is basically like the Dominican blues, you know, love songs that are about, you know, maybe unrequited love. The instruments themselves sound like joyous and celebratory, and but... The songs are very sad, which I'm like, that's perfect for me. Uh, a mm. sad song that you can dance to. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been able to incorporate those bits of Dominican culture into my life in a way that feels very authentic. I think it's hard for me living in New Hampshire, which is a quite homogenous state, mm. where I don't encounter Spanish or even Dominican food very often. Uh, my favorite Dominican salami and cheese is not sold at Hannaford's <laughs> and mm. I have to go into Massachusetts to get it uh, if I you know, have that particular craving. I do exist in the in-between a lot. Mm. And I think that's why having this apartment has been so important to me because in this apartment, there is no in-between. Like this is me. This is entirely me. I exist as like the sole citizen of this little country that I've created. And it's allowed me to be whoever I am in whatever way I want to be. Mm. And I feel really blessed for that space, for this space. Right. Because this is not a place of in-betweens. Right. This is, there's real definition here. That's really incredible uh and how important having your your own nation your own you know the end then you get to invite who you want into that space yeah. 
hearing about these different parts of you and hearing about the music that, you know, brings you alive a little bit, the upbeat, the meaning of the, the song is a little bit sadder. It sounds like a lot of really of my favorite poetry, you know, <laughs> it sounds like, like, oh, wow, this is a beautiful poem, but my God, I am about to cry and, or maybe I am crying. And so I kind of want to get into that, you know, where and like, how did you arrive to poetry in the first place? Mm. So I have been writing since I was nine years old and it started off in diaries. My oldest sister, Jennifer, shout out to Jen, bought me a diary for Christmas mm. when I was nine. And it was, you know, a diary where it had that lock on it that you could pick with a bobby pin if you wanted to. And it was funny because my sister Jen also gifted my sister Rosalie the same diary and you could open it with the same key. So obviously oh, no. my sister <laughs> Rosalie and I, we read each other's journals all the time. <laughs> and I even wrote an entry in that journal like, oh, I read Rosalie's diary and she blah, 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 blah. So then when she read my journal, she wrote me a note in my own diary and said, I can't believe you read my diary. Wow. <laughs> Where were y'all keeping these that they were so accessible? On the bookshelf? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, we didn't hide them anywhere. No. Um, but I just thought that that was so hypocritical. It's like, you're mad at me that I read your diary, but you just read mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you left me like a little note in it. Like, what? <laughs> uh, but that's kind of how I started writing. And I would write about like my crush in school. Mm. I would write about the Backstreet Boys, of course. Obviously. And then my family started going to a church when I was about 10 years old. And that really was a damaging situation. I was there for about a decade of my life and it was a very strict religious system. And I won't go into all the details of, of that system, uh, if you are interested in learning more about that, there's a Creative Mornings talk, mm. and there's a link to that in my bio on Instagram, uh, and you can hear more about my story and what I call the cult days. Mm -hmm. But during that time, it was really difficult for me to communicate my needs, especially when it came to mental health, uh, when it came to who I was as an individual, mm. and the only place where I could do that work and do that talking was in my journals and my diaries. And that became a really important space for me. It became literally my lifeline. And I think that if I hadn't been given that diary, I really honestly, and I, I don't say this to sound, you know, in any way poetic, but I don't know if I would be here. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if it weren't for language, if it weren't for words, if it weren't for that diary, if it weren't for my sister who gifted it to me, I don't think that I would be on this earth. And that's a sad thought, but that's also a beautiful thought because, you know, words did come to me when I needed them. Mm -hmm. And I not only was writing in my diary, but I was starting to explore, you know, writing short stories and little poems. And when I was 15, I tried to write a novel. That did not happen. What, was it, what was it called? I don't even think it had a title, mm. but it was about a girl who wanted to like run away with her brother mm -hmm. and have like a road trip, which was definitely something that I wanted to do. I wanted to run away with my brother and he's a really fun person. 
And I think I just had dreams of running away from where I was, which was the church and yeah. this really controlled environment where I wasn't even allowed to listen to secular music or even wear pants or any of those things. And yeah, of course I wanted to run away. Duh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously I would want to write a book about running away. But yeah, poetry just found me and I ended up majoring in creative writing in school. And it was there that I learned what an MFA is, you know, a master's of fine arts and that you could get one in poetry, that one could be a scholar of poetry. I'm like, what the F is that? (laughs) Uh, And I was encouraged by every single one of my professors to do that, to pursue that. I took about three years off from, you know, after graduating from my undergrad and lived in the real world. I hated it. I had a nine to five job that I really disliked that was not great for my mental health. And I mean, I shouldn't have done this, but I started writing my master's uh, application while sitting at that job I hated. And it sounds uh, like you should have done that and you did do it. (laughs) I I did it. I did it. And, you know, I went to NYU and yeah, and here I am, Poet Laureate. It's just been, been a journey to being nine years old to now almost 34 and how important poetry has been, you know, throughout all those years. And good for you for recognizing that you didn't want your life at that moment, the the way that it was unfolding and that you needed to, whether it was NYU or somewhere else, I know you entertained a few other places as well, but that becoming a scholar and being someone who not only wrote poetry, but now you're someone who promotes poetry in ways that they, Um, champions causes and opens the doors for people to feel and to be with themselves in meaningful ways. Hearing you talk about your diary, you know, almost sounds like the way uh, you talk about your apartment. You know, (laughs) it's a space that you, this is you and it's really important to have those spaces. And so you started with the diary and now you have a whole space of your own that is yours and you have even more. It sounds like the nation of Dianelli is doing well. Yeah. Yeah. She is. (laughs) (laughs) She's doing great. It feels you like we sort of cover this, you know, what does poetry mean to you? Because you've, you've addressed that, you know, that in, with no exaggeration, without it, without that diary, you wouldn't Mm -hmm. be here. Mm -hmm. And I, as someone who operates in poetry too, like, I believe that and those are spaces that we need. With such an essential space, how does poetry fit in your daily life? Yeah. Well, now nowadays, um, well, definitely the Bread and Poetry podcast, that's a way in which I, you know, interact with poetry mm. quite often, whether it's my reaching out to a poet or someone who I know, you know, enjoys poetry to be on this podcast, editing the podcast, mm-hmm. doing poetry readings, I, I do try to write here and there. I'm in the process of putting together Good Monster, my second collection, and and editing that book. So the poems don't come as frequently because I'm focusing on, you know, putting together this the second collection. Mm-hmm. But I have been writing some sonnets because obviously I love me a sonnet. <laughs> and <laughs> Adrian Rafel, who was on the previous episode, mm-hmm. we are doing sonnets for the month of May, and I've already pumped out three sonnets. Amazing. So 
I'm going to just keep going with that. And a few of those sonnets are actually going to be in Good Monster. So I'm just trying to cram in, you yeah. know, these last minute poems. But poetry just, it's its part of my daily life. It's not to bring it back to the Bible, but its it's like a daily bread. I interact with it every single day. And it doesn't have to be, you know, ceremonial, like, oh, mm -hmm. I sit down and I open the book and I do this and that. It could honestly just be having a conversation with you, Jonathan. Like, mm. if I send you a poem and you, you say, like, two words about it, isn't like that, that's like interacting in, with poetry. You know, if you send me your work and, like, that's interacting with poetry. Mm. We recently hung out and we went for a walk. That was us interacting with with poetry. Mm -hmm. And listeners don't know this, but when I recorded with Jonathan last year, that was our second conversation in person, really. Like yeah. lengthy conversation, I should say that. Yeah, that's true. And here we are almost a year later, and we're like good, good friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the podcast like helped facilitate that friendship in a really beautiful, organic way. Yeah. And, but that was not just the podcast. I mean, you reached out to me. I was at, a, went to a, an open mic and read some poetry and you came up to me afterwards. You're like, and handed me your card. You're like, let's get coffee. <laughs> let's talk poetry. And that is another way in which you interact with poetry. You facilitated that. You we're like, I want to want to talk about this with you. I want to hear what you're thinking, and and likewise, I want this conversation to be a two way street. And uh, yeah, and since we've you know uh, had a great time in Seattle at AWP and whatnot, and it's a busy job being the poet laureate of Portsmouth. <laughs> and uh, I only recently stopped teaching at the University of New Hampshire, so our schedules have been difficult at times. But like poetry, any relationship, it's the effort you put into it, mm -hmm. and what the, and that's really beautifully said. Just like even if it's just sending a poem to a friend you don't have to always be like machinery pumping out work you have to always be revising sometimes it's just being with other people mm -hmm. who like poetry yes exactly <laughs> and that's bread and poetry <laughs> that's this <laughs> podcast in getting you you know around all these people and it's been really cool the last time we went for a walk we spoke at length about all the people you've had on this podcast what an amazing collection of poets you've had on here and people and can you speak a little bit to how that has um how that interaction with the poetry community has maybe influenced your own writing or just how has this evolved how's bread and poetry going for you yeah well first of all i really just want to thank all of the listeners who have been you know listening <laughs> and interacting with the podcast too mm. and it's meant a lot to me and I'm really grateful that I've been able to interview people within, you know, this Seacoast community, but also the community at large. Joshua Burton, for instance, mm -hmm. not from this area. Alexandria, you know, she lives in LA. Like community doesn't need to be, you know, people that are right in front of your face or that live within a 30 mile radius. Mm -hmm. Everywhere is community to me. I think you can make community anywhere. A lot of my poetry community exists or lives in, on the internet, you know, on yeah. Instagram. And yeah, I don't, I don't feel like community has to be contained in, you know, and again, in a really small radius, but it can include the entire world. It can include whoever you want to invite into that space. And I've just really enjoyed all of the people that I've invited uh, to uh, participate uh, on Bread and Poetry. 
some of the people, my first ever conversation mm. has been on the podcast, like Maya Williams. Oh, yeah, The Maya. first time I talked to Maya was on this podcast. <laughs> and now I'm blurbing Maya's, you know, second collection that's going to be coming out um, later this year. So I've just been able to use the podcast as a way to build friendships, like you're yeah. an example of that. And it's been a really beautiful way to to make that happen and to to build that community that I've been searching for for such a long time, especially considering that I'm not in an MFA program mm -mm. right now, which is was a beautiful place to find community, but yeah. I don't have that connection. So I have to make community in another way. And this podcast has made that happen. Mm. And I'm excited about where it will take me, where it will, where it will go. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm still going to do it. Even, yeah. even if I'm, you know, not Port Laureate next year or this coming year is my last year as Port Laureate. And, but bread and poetry will remain regardless cool. of whether I am Poet Laureate of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, but I will always be Poet Laureate of your hearts. So that will not change. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that concludes part one of the reverse interview. Thank you so much, Jonathan Riley. I'm so excited for y'all to hear part two. So stay tuned. This has been Bread and Poetry Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Bread and Poetry Podcast and Twitter at Bread Poetry Pod. Please rate, review, and subscribe to keep this thing kicking. This podcast is sponsored by the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program. Follow them on Instagram at PPLPNH. Please consider making a donation at pplp.org slash donate to help fund this volunteer-run nonprofit in its mission to further build community through poetry. Cover art for this podcast is by Najee Brown, and theme music is by Stu Diaz. Stay tuned for more episodes of Bread and Poetry coming at you because truly, who doesn't love bread and who doesn't love poetry? Until then, my dear ones. What did you eat for breakfast today? Hopefully it was not barbell. Oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing memory. Uh, <laughs> that's right. And you ridiculed me for being a <laughs> gym bro. No, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah. I was slightly in, judging. In, yeah. your, in your eternal kindness, you still <laughs> were like, yeah. I eternal kindness? Who yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this morning I had a... I went to the uh, Elephantine Cafe. You bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a piece of ricotta toast with the honey. Oh my God. I, I really do hate you in the, yeah, in the nicest way possible. <laughs> the eternal kindness. It comes out. Yeah. <laughs>